you have your Bibles, how many of you have your Bibles? Wave it at me tonight or lift up your hand. I hope that you do. Take your Bibles and let's meet in, in Psalm 139 tonight. Psalm 139. We have entitled this series through some of the selected Psalms that we are going through. Uh, awesome God. And as we look at our chapter tonight, that is the first description that comes to my mind is uh, that our God is an awesome God. This chapter highlights the supernatural characteristics of God. And on Wednesday nights, if you've been missing our Bible studies, you're missing it. It has been such a help and encouragement to me. And I know many of you are working in our children's ministry and our, our youth ministry on Wednesday nights. But we began talking about lies that Satan wants us to believe about God. And that's really where he starts, is trying to downgrade our thoughts about God. And I love a quote that we talked about. It goes right along with this psalm from A.W. Tozer that is so true. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us because what we think about God affects everything else about our life. It affects, if we have a high view of God, then it brings us to a high worship of God and a high way of living. If we have a low view of God, then it brings us to a a low worship and a low way of living. And so it's so important how we view God. And how many of you know that Satan is on a, a great attack today on people's view of God, trying to bring God down to a very casual level. And this, this psalm reminds us of the greatness of God and yet the, uh, the personal aspect of God as well. So I want us to look at this psalm tonight, Psalm 139. We're not going to go through all of it, but we are going to read a good bit of it just to get the whole uh, idea, the whole thought, the whole context and we'll be in this probably for a couple of weeks. O Lord, verse number one, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes 
did see my substance, yet being unperfect or incomplete. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand when I awake. I am still with thee. Father, I pray that tonight our hearts would be encouraged and reminded of what an awesome God we serve and yet what a personal God we serve. We thank you, Lord, that tonight as we lay our heads down and that we lay it down, we can rest in confidence that you are sovereign over our lives, over the world in which we live, that you see us, that you see before us, that you know all things, that you are ever with us. And Lord, we thank you for the confidence and the comfort that that brings us as your children. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us tonight through your word as well as challenge us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is a, a psalm of David, and it is written to the chief musician, and we don't know for sure who that is. Some think that it is another human uh, musician, leader. Some people think that he is writing this to God, who is the chief musician, the maker of music. And as we read through this and, and we look at the, the personal references to God and the reference to the writer, what you will see very quickly is that David did not just view God as an awesome God, as a powerful God. Definitely he sees him that way. But what you will notice is that he also sees him as a personal God. And aren't you thankful that he's not just some off in the distance, far God that we can't get to know, but he's a personal God. And he not only is our creator, but he is our father. God is is referred to by name six times in Psalm 139, and he is mentioned by personal pronoun 30 times, and then David turns around and he refers to himself uh, 50 times in this psalm, so it's a very personal psalm to David. He is writing not just about the greatness of God, but what he means to him personally. It's a poetic song of profound spiritual experience in David's life, and I hope that you and I can identify with it. The psalm is divided into three basic parts, and if you write in your Bible, as I do, I would encourage you maybe to label it in this way, verses 1 through 6. He rehearses the omniscience of God. Verses 7 through 12, he rehearses the omnipresence of God. And in verses 13 and following, he remembers the omnipotence of God. And as we study this, my prayer is just as as David did, that we will not just see a powerful creator that is far removed from our life, but through the study of this, look, David, look what he says again in, in verse number uh, verse number seven, verse number six or seven. He says, um, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. As David rehearses these characteristics of God, it brings him strength. It brings him comfort. It brings him encouragement. It brings him confidence. It brings him greater joy. And that is my prayer that although we see a God who does indeed hold the whole world in his hands, that we also see a God who invites us into his very presence to pray to him, 
to walk with him, to fellowship with him day in and day out. Notice the similar wording in how David begins the psalm and then also in how he ends the psalm. In the first verse, he gives us a declaration of God's omniscience. He, he proclaims that God is omniscient. Oh Lord, thou hast searched me and you know me. And then in verse number 23, he gives us a declaration of his openness. He, he announces in verse number one, God knows all about me. He is omniscient, and then he he mentions in verse number 23, realizing that God knows all things anyway, hear God, verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart, try me, and know my thoughts. Look, when we acknowledge the omniscience of God, when we acknowledge that God knows all things, it ought to cause us in a very personal way to communicate to God in a very open way, right? When we, when we realize his omniscience, it ought to cause us to be open because guess what? He knows it all anyway. And so David says, search me, O God, know my heart, try me, know my thoughts. Verse 1 praises God's so- sovereignty. Verse 23 proclaims David's surrender. When we look at God's sovereignty over the world, what should be our response? Like we mentioned this morning, the same response that Isaiah had when he saw God's greatness. Woe is me, but we didn't get to this this morning. What was the next thing that he says? Here am I, Lord, send me. I surrender my life to you. When we see God in his sovereignty, in his holiness, in his full character, it ought to cause a a reflection of surrender in our life, wanting to be underneath his authority. There's incredible motivation and comfort that comes from rehearsing these characteristics. Let's look at the first one, and this may be all we get through tonight, but look at the omniscience of God. The omniscience of God. And this reminds us that he knows me. He knows me. Now, all of us have known a a human know-it-all. I'm not going to ask you if you married one, all right? Human know-it-alls are obnoxious, aren't they? They have all the answers to everything. You go to them, you're pouring out, I don't know what to do about this. They they just feel like they have all the answers to everything. But a divine know-it-all ought to bring comfort to us. And listen, God knows it all. He knows it all. God's knowledge is immeasurable. You can't measure it. Man's knowledge is limited and it's accumulative as as we, we study. We have to learn and we gain more knowledge. No, God's knowledge is limitless and it's immediate. It, it, it is immeasurable. Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13 and 14, Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord? Or being his counselor hath taught him, with whom took he counsel, and who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment. Isaiah knows the answer to this, by the way. He's he's telling us no one teaches him. No one gives him knowledge. No one gives him understanding. He has never been enlightened. He has never been informed. He is perfect in knowledge. John says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20, God knows all things. Think about this. To God, prophecy is as clear as history. Prophecy is as clear to God as history is. For you and I, we look back and we read things that have happened and we think, we see, okay, that's, that's clear. 
That's happened. We, we know it. Sometimes we can now look back and see video of it and it helps us. But sometimes prophecy is not as clear to us. It hasn't happened yet. Some of it we don't quite understand. It's a mystery to us. Listen, in the eyes of God, prophecy is as clear as history. Amen. He sees it all. He knows it all. Weathermen prophesy, don't they? Sometimes they get it. And a lot of times they don't. I could try to prophesy to you tonight. I have in my pocket 10 pennies. Well, nine now. 10 pennies. And Jeannie has numbered all these pennies for me tonight. One through 10. So how many of you think I can pull out number one? Out of the 10 pennies, what what percentage do I have? All right, 10%, not too bad. I maybe think that I can pull out, Lane, can I pull out the one? 10. It's got a one on it, yeah. The chances are not very good. You don't want me going to buy your lottery ticket for you tonight, all right? But the chances are small. Just shows you how little I know, how, in fact, it's a 10% chance The chances of me pulling out number one and number two together are one in a hundred. The chances of me pulling out one through ten in sequence is a lot. (laughs) One in ten billion, I think it says. Yet, Yet the Bible has fulfilled prophecy after fulfilled prophecy after fulfilled prophecy. Over 300 fulfilled prophecies of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. There is no other book that even comes close, no other book that compares to it. Why? Because this book has a divine author who is omniscient, who knows all things. Nothing is beyond him. That's why it ought to bring us joy and comfort to read this book. It is a matchless book. Its author is is matchless. This is why Jesus was able to tell his disciples exactly what what was going to happen to him so that when it did happen to them, they would know that he was indeed the Messiah. And yet David brings this down to a a very personal level. God's knowledge is not just immeasurable, but it's individual. It's, it's personal. Notice in verses 1 and 2 that he reminds us that God sees our movements. He says, you have searched me. You have known me. And the original Hebrew word there for search means to dig, to explore. And David is declaring that God has essentially excavated every crevice of his soul. He has left no sto- stone unturned. And he's not saying that he had to do that in order to find out about David, but instead he is recognizing that he himself has now discovered, he has come to the place of realizing and discovering that God has already discovered him. Nothing escapes the all-seeing eye of God. God's knowledge of David was comprehensive, his past, his present, his future, And David explains by saying, saying, you know when and where I sit and when I get up. In other words, God observes our most casual acts when we stand up, when we sit down, when we lie down. He knows our movements. And then he shows us in the second part of verse number two that he also knows our motives. 
You understand my what? My thoughts. You understand my thoughts afar off. God sees perfectly our motives and our purposes. We see this, don't we, as well in the, new minist- in the New Testament ministry of Jesus as he is ministering and he is literally reading the motives and the thoughts of those that he is ministering to. He, he is reading the minds and the motives of the Pharisees who are telling him that, who are not saying anything, but they're thinking in their mind that his miracles are a work of Satan, and he reads right into their thoughts and into their motives, into their minds. God knows everything we think and why we think it. He not only knows every thought that we have, but he sees every step that we take and every nap that we take. That's what he says. Verse 3, look, he sees our path and our lying downs. I love how John Phillips describes these verses regarding our everyday activity. He says, the Lord knows when I leave the house. He knows whether I walk to work, take my car, or ride the bus. He knows when I go for a coffee break, when I leave to go home, and when I walk back in the front door. From my first step as a toddler to my last faltering steps in old, there is not one step that he does not know. He knows it all, our, our uprisings, our sitting downs. He knows our movements. He knows our motives. But also verse 4 reminds us that he knows our words before we even speak them. David is saying every action, every thought, every motive, every word, our omniscient God knows it all. Tozer explained it vividly like this. God knows every word on every Uh, of every language, on every human tongue, on every continent, at every moment of every day. I love that. Or as you may have heard, has it ever occurred to you that what? Nothing has occurred to God. He's never said, oh, wow. (laughs) To Peter's disbelief, Jesus even foresaw Peter's upcoming denial, that he was going to deny him. And not just his denial, Brother Steve, but all the details about his denial. The the animal that was going to be there to let him know that he had denied him. And specifically, how many times he was going to deny him. Notice the end of verse number four. David writes, I love this. You know it. Thou knowest it all together. (laughs) You know it all. Verse 5 reminds us that God fences us in. He says he besets me behind and before, meaning that all the escape routes have been cut off. You will never go anywhere out of his presence. And then verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. You know what he's saying? It's beyond my my human comprehension. I, I can't even wrap my human mind around it all. It's marvelous. It's wonderful. God knows it all. He knows every detail, every thought, every word, every step, every sip, every glance. He knows it all. Now, let's talk about our response to his omniscience. Our response to his omniscience is either dread or delight. And that all has to do with our attitudes and actions, doesn't it? Because as we talked about in faith group this morning, God sees deep into our hearts and into our motives. 
And it is what is on the inside that he is most concerned about. When our hearts are bent towards sinfulness, the reminder of God's omniscience brings discomfort and dread. And all of us have experienced that. I remember as a boy thinking that God had somehow given my parents some supernatural gift of omniscience because there were things that they should not have known about in my mind that they knew about. But the truth is they didn't know it all. They're human beings. But this is the thought that is staggering is that when no one else sees it, there's always one who sees it all. There's always one. God sees behind the mask that we've been talking about from Mark 7, the mask of pretending. Yet, on the other hand, when our hearts are like David... In the place, and David wasn't a perfect man, there was obviously a time in his life where the omniscience of God brought dread to his mind. But as he writes this psalm, his heart is in a different place. And the thought of God's omniscience brings delight, not dread. And listen, it's a good indicator of where we are in our Christian life when, when the thought of God knowing all things either brings us delight or it brings us dread. Instead of running and hiding, we can, like David, sing. That's what this is. It's a song. Sing with joy about the omniscience of God. Really, this is a, you could write here, a a song of a clear conscience. Because that's what David is doing, praising God for his omniscience. It's either a thrilling thing or it's a threatening thing to us as his children. Let me just give you some practical results of thinking about God's omniscience. Number one, it sobers us, or it should sober us. why, Why should it sober us? It sobers us because the reality is that we are going to appear as Christians at the Bema seat of Christ, and we are going to give an account of all that he already knows about us. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. The omniscience of God is certainly a motivator in our life, young people. It should be, as we are aware, that he is always with us. And it should strip us of any pride that we might have, that he knows all about us, And yet he still loves us and he still chooses to use us is a pretty sobering reminder, isn't it? That the one who knows us the best loves us the most. It's staggering because as human beings, usually the more we know someone, the closer we get to them, we see all their their shortcomings. We begin to see their sins and we begin to think less about them. And, but the one who knows us completely sees everything, every thought that we have had. He loves us the most. And it should, as Christians, sober us. The omniscience of God also secures us. Now, I want to please God as you do as a Christian. I want to bring him glory because I'm a new creature in him. I am his ambassador. I am his representative. But listen, my eternal salvation is not dependent on my future performance. He knows all about me. 
He knows all of my, my sins too, past, present, and future. And it is not my works that are going to cleanse me. It is his blood that has cleansed me. And that ought to bring us great security. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light, he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another. And the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Then two verses down, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. J.I. Packer wrote, the omniscience of God is a wonderful truth. I'm never out of his mind. There is no moment when his eye is off me or his tension distracted from me. And no moment, therefore, when his care falters. There is tremendous relief in knowing that his love for me is utterly realistic, based at every point on knowledge of the worst about me. So that no discovery now can delusion him about me. This is unspeakable comfort. I love that last little phrase. So that no discovery now can delusion him about me. It sobers us. The thought of his omniscience secures us. And then it also satisfies us. It satisfies us because God knows all things, which means he He knows all things that we do, but listen, he also knows all things that we need. Even before we ask him, he knows our needs. Matthew 6, 8, be not therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask him. He's, He's never caught off guard by our needs. And the omniscience of God means that when we face the troubles of tomorrow, that we discover that God already knew that they were coming our way. And David says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain into it. Or as Eugene Peterson paraphrases this, it's too much. It's too wonderful. I can't take it all in. So for the believer who's walking in fellowship with God, the omniscience of God, listen, it's not a threat. It's a refuge. He knows all about us. He cares about our deepest need. We are his children. Richard Panic, a well-known physicist and cosmologist, writes, I can't prove that God doesn't exist, but I'd much rather live in a universe without a creator God. Of course you would. But for a Christian, the creator God is not a concept to avoid. It's, it's something, it's a reality that we ought to rejoice in tonight. That God knows all about us, he knows us the most, and he loves us, or he knows all about us, knows us better than anyone else, and he loves us the most. David is answering life's most profound questions about God, the questions that people who try to deny God want want us to answer. How well does God know me? God knows everything about us, David rehearses, and he cares about every detail. And David realized that although he did not know himself, he says, God, search me. I I don't know all there is to know about me, but I know that you know me. Search me and show me what I can't see. Search me and know my heart. 
Reveal to me what only you know. Because as Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and it's desperately wicked. What's the last part? Who can know it? Who can know it? Only God and only God can reveal those things in our heart that need changing. Listen, as we've been studying on Sunday morning, if the heart is so important, if it's more important than all the exteriors and all the outside, then shouldn't we as God's children want to know the problems with our heart? So maybe we need to come back to this prayer that David says here in verse number 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and show me any wicked way that is within me. The omniscience of God, he knows us. The second thing here that David rehearses is the omnipresence of God. And this is the truth that he surrounds us. Notice verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? God is present everywhere on both sides of the grave. He says death does not hide us from God. Suicide will not allow you to escape God. He is on both sides of the grave. Verse number 8, he is in the heavens. He is beneath the earth. Verse 9 and 10, he is as far as the east is from the west. That is, he is north, he is south, he is east, he is west. And to the unbeliever, this is terrifying news because what it means is that he is there after death. And he is in hell as the judge. To the believer, it's incredibly comforting news, isn't it? Because the most wonderful part about heaven is not the streets and the pavement of gold. It's not the walls of jasper. It is Jesus. It is God. It is his presence. Or as the songwriter says, Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. Or when by the gift of his infinite grace I am, court, I am accorded in heaven a place just to be there and to look on his face will through the ages be glory for me. You and I will never be out of God's reach and that ought to encourage us tonight. Distance doesn't hide us from God. Pagans of David's day would would have believed that God had territories like all the other gods, jurisdictions. And David makes it very clear, our God is the God who fences us in, but he's not fenced in. He is in all places. Jonah thought he could escape God. He thought he could run by God by boarding a ship, but yet before he ever got on that ship, God was already on the ship. Before he ever got to Tarshish, God was already there. Before he ever went into the the belly of the well, God was there. Can't run from God. It was Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh. And remember that, uh, that promised his apostles just before he ascended back into heaven. This must have been such great comfort to them because the task that he just gave them was ginormous, wasn't it? You guys, this is all I want you to do. Take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Bring salvation. Bring the gospel to all the people of the earth. That would have been a terrifying command, wouldn't it? 
especially in that day and age, no technology, no airplanes to get across the sea. How are we going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? Do you remember the last thing he said to them? Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And here is what David is rehearsing. Distance doesn't separate us from God. You you can't run from him. You can't get away from him. And then he says, darkness also doesn't hide us from God. Verse 11 and 12, he sees in the darkness. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. It doesn't matter. It's like Alaska. It's light all the time there right now. Brother Randy and Mr. Delilah were putting on Facebook that they had 11.30 tea time. 11.30 p.m. tea time. It's not like that all the time, but... When I read this, I thought, you know, in the eyes of God, that's it. It, it, There's no darkness. It's light all the time. He sees it. When it gets dark here, no different to God. And of course, in the mind of sinful men, what is done in the darkness can't be seen. But we know that it can. John 3, 19, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Hebrews 4.13, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Another profound question about God, he is answering, how close is God to me? And the answer, at no time are we any distance away from God. At no time are we any distance away from God. Whether it's dark or light, Whether you're here or there, he's everywhere. Now, now there's certainly that aspect of darkness in regards to sin, but it's also comforting, isn't it? And I think it's certainly in the context here as David is rejoicing in the omniscience of God that, listen, no matter how dark it gets in our life, no matter how dark the clouds are, no matter how dark the trial is in our life, God is there. In the darkest moments of our life. He's there. Jeremiah 23, 23. Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God far off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do not I feel heaven and earth, saith the Lord? What's the answer to that? He does feel heaven and earth. Nothing can be hid from him. You couldn't give me a yes or no because they're... One was no, one was yes. Adam and Eve would give testimony to this, wouldn't they? Thinking we'll, we'll kind of a, escape God's presence. We'll go hide. Proverbs 15.3. I love this verse. Sometimes. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Say that with me. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Now, this ought to bring us great delight and great comfort 
It ought to thrill our hearts as Christians. But I'm also thankful that there have been times in my life when I've been away from the Lord, when there's been things that I've tried to hide from everybody else, that the Holy Spirit of God has reminded me, you're not hiding anything. God knows. God sees. He sees it all. And as Christians, we ought to be thankful for that. It ought not to be something that we despise because the Bible tells us this, whom the Lord loves, he what? Chastens. And even his chastening is love. But what a joy to know tonight that no matter where we are, no matter how dark it is, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter, listen, no matter how bad this world gets, God is there. The Holy Spirit of God. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Spirit of God? I mean, he tells us in 1 Peter about this inheritance that we have. But aren't you just thankful for the down payment on that inheritance, which is the Holy Spirit of God that lives in us? And listen, we have him till the very end, till we're out of here. We'll never be alone. We'll never be alone. We always have him with us. He knows all about our lives, and he cares about every detail. Our lying down, our rising up, he sees it all. He cares about it all. And David says, yeah, he's pretty, pretty awesome, God, but he's also my father. And he wants to walk with me and talk with me, fellowship with me. And he wants to meet my needs when I have them. This is the kind of God we have. This is the kind of God we serve.